Welcome to another episode of Sober Heroes. So we have been looking at male sobriety for the various podcasts that we've done. And this week I've got Zach with me. Now, I literally came across uh, Zach's story on someone else's story reel that they shared. So the power of Instagram and sort of seeing good messages. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, I've just got to message him and get him on because he just sounds so relatable. We've had a quick chat beforehand and I've already related to pretty much everything he said so should be a really good conversation and we'll pass over to Zach and he'll introduce himself and then we'll go from there. Uh, how you doing? Yeah I'm good thanks Sean thanks for having me on it's a, it's a pleasure to be here and obviously um, hopefully I can share my story and help as many people as possible really um, but obviously I, I presume you wanted me to go into the the life story as such of addiction. Yeah, like th- th- this is this is the best thing. It's like getting so many different people. There's themes that keep coming up from different people, and people re- relate to different things. So, literally, go into your life story, and then we'll we'll ask some questions and add some experience in where we can. Yeah, for sure. Um, I suppose if you're going all the way back to the beginning, I can remember being an addict from a very young age, actually, because my mum was. Um, an alcoholic and drug addict. Uh, my dad, at the younger age, was an alcoholic, but he is now. And um, so I was around sort of the behaviour very early on. But the main reason my addiction developed was it was all to do with sort of love and affection, trying to replace this sort of lost mother that I had in my life. You know, she was she was up until about five or six. She was very very loving and affectionate, and she was sober. And then um, after you know postnatal depression with my little sister, the fourth child she just lost it um, and she was quite ill as well with Crohn's disease and she just started to become um, more and more dependent on alcohol and through her illness she got a lot of prescription pills so she was addicted to them too and then that brought on a lot of painful behavior to be a part of you know to witness you know to see um, you know how she was she was she was there but it was like I was invisible you know she was she was just walking around the house, just absolutely off her face, you know, just seeing some of the crazy things people do when they're drunk, you know, talking to herself. She committed suicide a few times or tried to commit suicide, should I say. And I had to remember calling the ambulance at about six or seven years old to, to come and pick her up. And, you know, I didn't know whether or not she was going to be coming back alive or, you know, whether she was going to, you know, if I was ever going to see her again. And that as a kid, you know, done something really damaging. You I lost this... Um, this kind of sweet kindness. I had to grow up very, very quickly, but what I was very dependent on was trying to find someone to replace what I lost. And it was a very addictive and obsessive behavior. I was, I was very like fanciful over, um, you know, an older woman just sort of wanting to have a girlfriend. And even at like six, seven years old, like that was sort of where it started for me. And, you know, that behavior sort of carried on all the way through school, always wanting to try and have a girlfriend or be involved in a relationship, you know, like early teens was like, thank God I finally got a girlfriend. And then obviously you get introduced to drugs. I did about 13, I think 12 or 13. I first started smoking weed. And, you know, I was, I did, I liked it, but the problem was, is that the only reason I liked it a lot is because of the people I could hang around with, because the, all of the stuff I was witnessing at home, you know, it wasn't only my mum's side, my dad was extremely violent, like watching the relationship between them two was harrowing, you know, and, you know, he'd come home and notice like how terrible the house was because she was in such a state and, you know, and the violence between them two was just horrendous to watch and you know how he was very um, very quite abusive and neglectful and damaging in the way he spoke to us and he was violent to us as well specifically me 
Um, there was a reason behind that because my mum had told him that I wasn't his son out of, out of pure rage after he'd, you know, he'd really hurt her. Um, so then from that point onwards, I was kind of like the favourite to be hurt. So I was very broken. I was a very broken young boy. And I just, um, I didn't know how to maintain friendships. You know, I was quite dishonest. And the, the obsession with women got me in a lot of trouble with people's girlfriends. I'd make friends and then I'd be jealous of their relationship. And I would um, sort of try and get with their girlfriend or, you know, I, yeah, I was just, oh, just a nightmare. And, I, and, you know, for example, like I was such Jacqueline Hines, like one of my mates, one of my best mates, you know, I was with my mates with him for a long time. He, he'd injured himself, he was on crutches. And I walked him home from this house party because he wasn't feeling it, he was in pain. And then when I went back to the party, you know, as a good mate would, walking mate, that's the kind of person I wanted to be. But then I'd come back and then I got with a girlfriend he just broke up with the day before, you know, and I was just like, then I just couldn't understand why I kept like behaving this way. I hated, you know, I kept losing friends and I'd never stick with anyone. But when obviously I started smoking weed, we were kind of all the same, just like this bunch of misfits that, that sort of fact that like fitted together and, um, you know, smoking weed. And then it was obviously, oh, then I started hanging around with older people as well because they were into drugs and I wanted to just do more. And at 15, I started um, doing cocaine. That was the first time I tried it and I, I loved it straight away. You know, it was, it was right up my street, but, it never really developed to, to being a problem until my twenties, really, I guess. But, you know, whilst I, I had my addiction, you know, not school life was, uh, sorry, before I had my addiction, my school life was, um, I was never very, uh, I was never well behaved. You know, I was never, I never did what I was told. I've never listened to any authoritative figure because, you know, my main primary caregivers or the authority at home was so intense and horrible that any opportunity to, you know, <laughs> rebel against that, against, you know, people of a similar age, you know, teachers, especially like, Unless they treated me like an adult, I wouldn't do anything they asked me for. But if they treated me or looked down to me or talked to me in the way I saw it anyway, I would um, completely disobey anything and therefore just have no interest in doing well at school. I was always intelligent enough to do the work, but I just never wanted to do it. You know, if someone was telling me what to do, I ain't going to do it for you. Um, so I wanted to work, you know, and I, set, I started, got my own business when I was um, 15. Um, I brought some money off my dad. One thing he was good for is financially, he was always available to me. So... He lent me some money to, to buy this market store and I started running that business until I could see when I was about 17, it sort of dropped out and um, then went into recruitment, into IT recruitment, then into medical. By the time I was 21, you know, as I said earlier, I set up my own business in doing that. And all the while, you know, drugs were always there. They were always there. It was a weekend thing. There was a spout when I was about 18 when I started trying to sell it, which didn't go very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as you can imagine and it started to affect my work um because i was doing it every night when i got home on my own that was the first time i ever really did it alone um and then i realized how much it was affecting me and at that point I somehow had the willpower to um on my career and being successful meant so much to me so i knocked it on the head for about a year i didn't use i didn't use any i did drink but i didn't didn't use coke because i see it was um it was going to affect my business and my career and what i wanted to do and i'd started this new job and but as soon as I started doing really well at that job, about a year in, you know, I went from like their lowest paid employee to their highest paid employee in about 18 months. And then um, I was earning so much money, I stopped, I didn't care about working. On Fridays, I was never turning up, you know, and this, this is when I was an employee as well, but I just got away with it because I was just making them so much money. Like, I mean, talking millions, making them millions of pounds. And um, so from, from the age of about 20 years old, I was always earning well over 100 grand a year. So for me, like, it was always possible to spend as much money as I ever wanted on drugs, which was a, was a, was a bad thing. But again, when I started my own business, I sort of knocked it on the head. I was managed to keep it to sort of 
weekends only but when i say weekends i'm talking friday to sunday at least you know but it was always there as consistent in my life there was always there was always some substance around whether it be drink or or, or, or cocaine for me i don't you know dabbling in pills and mandy and ketamine and stuff like that for festivals and ib for holidays and stuff like that but um by the time i was 22 23 the coke really became a massive problem you know it was I was not turning up to work. And as I said before, my behavior was changing. It was almost like every single character defect that I'd learned from my parents, you know, with a bad way of living, immorality, you know, everything I'd learned growing up, it was almost like it was lying dormant. And then suddenly at like 22, 23, it just woke up. Every horrible part of me came out, came out. And every, you know, every resentment I had towards women, you know, every, every, uh, just I guess like the, the anger and the frustration and I looked at the world in a very cynical way everybody was liars everybody would cheat and everybody would steal and I was destined to go out and prove that to everyone and you know I wanted to make everyone as bad as what I was you know that was kind of like the way I lived at the at 23 24 I was just really 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 messed up you know and the drugs became four four days out of seven and then it was by the time I'd got to 24, you know, I'd lost my position because of my attitude, the way I behaved, the way I spoke to people. Um, but I did still own the business, so I was getting dividends. So even at first, so first, so about two and a half years, I didn't work, but I was still earning, you know, really good money, sort of 10, 15 grand a month. Which is and dangerous. <laughs> what do you think I did for those two years? And that's yeah. what I did in my, my latest video, you know, 25 to 28 would have worst three years of my life. You know, I was using an eighth at least a coke a day. And um, I was totally going insane. I was awake for seven days at a time. I mentioned actually, obviously I had a son at 22. Um, but I was, as you can see, I was absent in minded in mentioning because at that time I was absent father, you know, I was, I was in his life and he lived with me full time, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a good dad. You know, I was, when I was um, on the off chance, I was in, you know, in a fit state. I was, you know, loving, attentive and, you know, fun dad, but it was so inconsistent for him. Like, you know, I just wasn't available, but by the time I was 25 to 28, you know, I was, I was, I had to drink to be suitable to, in my eyes, to be a dad. That's when you know you've got a problem. Like, I was using so much coke every day. Like, I could barely speak. Um, I didn't sleep for seven, eight days at a time, and I was uh, hearing things that, uh, hearing people that weren't there. I was seeing things that weren't there. Pat paranoia massive paranoia you know i could stand at a window for three hours and looking out of it like thinking there was somebody in my garden you know? so, same as me so towards the end for me personally that was the thing that made me just go look i need help because i'm about to be like a paranoid schizophrenic like when you i don't know if you were the same but i would get in my head that the police were outside and then i'd be oh, sat there with like two grams of coke and i wouldn't touch them for about four hours <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's insane. Some of the stuff, you know, even in this room, that blind the blinds I'm looking at over there, I just remember just sitting there like that. And then or well, I checked the doors were locked, then I go and check that door was locked. And then like, I did a TikTok recently about what doing gear recently really looks like. <laughs> and um, you know, it was just like me talking to myself as another person and I was going, What are you doing, mate? And I was looking in the wardrobe and these are things I actually did. I was like, someone in the wardrobe, I'm sure of it. I'm literally standing there, and now I could see hands coming out of the wardrobe and stuff like that. It was Oh, it was horrific and I was paying to feel this way. It was just totally insane. But, you know, for those for those three years was probably the darkest time. You know, I was I was drinking four or five bottles of wine a day or, you know, a bottle of stuff and comfort at least. 
um, you know, three, four grams a day. And I was just totally losing the plot. You know, the worst and the most scariest thing that ever happened was because I was sometimes in and out of consciousness because I was so tired, but I was doing so much drugs, you know, it was keeping me awake, but I was exhausted. And sometimes I'd drift off for like five or 10 minutes and then wake up, but wouldn't even realize it had happened. And I'd dream something. And then I'd, I'd think that that thing had actually happened. And I remember saying to my partner at the time, I was like, yeah, you, said, you, you did this. I remember you said, and she was like, no, that never happens. I was like, in my mind, I was so sure. I'm certain this actually happened. That sounds like psychosis. Yeah, it, oh, it was horrible. And then I, when she gave me some, like, it was like black and white evidence, go, look, that didn't happen. And then I just burst into tears because I was like, I've lost my mind. I've totally lost my mind. And despite all of that, you know, I still, um, I didn't get clean until another year and a bit later. Um, but it was, you know, that was for, that was four or five years of my life just gone like that. Like, absolutely horrific. And, you know, I started, but at like 28, I slowed it down a little bit. I've tried to, tried to do what everyone does in terms of I want to be a functioning, I want to be a successful user. You know, I want to just do it at weekends or I want to do like, so I went back to doing that and, you know, I managed to get another business somehow. And, you know, the same thing happened as soon as it started going well, I started using more and more again. The more money I made and like the more successful I was, my behavior changed, my attendance changed until eventually I didn't go to work for two months. And then um, I just said, to, I went in and I said, listen, I, I can't do this. I'm going to lose. I don't want to lose this again. Can you help me? I need, I need help. Like they knew what I, my history, because my, the industry is quite um, incestuous around Milton Keynes and everybody knew my story. They knew what had happened and, but they took a, a punt on me anyway, because they knew that I was good at what I did. But when I went in, I broke down and cried my eyes out and I said, listen, I, I really want to perform for you guys and I know I can, but I need your help. And they, um, they kept, got me some insurance and I went to rehab for the second time. You know, I went once when I lost the first business, but that didn't really work for me. I wasn't, was nowhere near ready. And then, yeah, I came, came out of treatment and my recovery plan was probably one of the most intense things I've ever had to commit to in my life. It was anybody who says recovery is easy and they've definitely not done it <laughs> because recovery for me was um was extremely painful you know therapy and rehab you know eight hours of therapy every single day it wasn't a 12 sort of set one it was uh, purely therapy based and that was probably one of the most horrific things i've ever done you know having to relive everything i'd seen and gone through as a child and actually not just re talk about it actually feel how it felt to be that kid you know these are the, the steps i had to take to go to go through all of that and then my, I live in Milton Keynes, but my rehab was in London. So I went three weeks residential. Then I did another two months non-residential, three days a week. So I was traveling to London three days a week, two days a week in, in my business. Then I was doing three NA meetings a week. I was, then I had my son as well on top of that. Like my life was just... It's, it's quite stressful, isn't it? I think people assume that life stops, but you still have to do stuff and still do the meetings. Yeah, um, it's it's a life commitment that you have to make and you have like that you have to sacrifice everything and anything outside of those hours that you've got that you need to invest in your recovery like and if you're not prepared to do that in my opinion like it's going to be difficult you know and, uh, and also you know they say people places and things right you know the the people that you need to stay away from the places you need to stay away from and things you need to stay away from to stay clean and i cut everyone off you know i didn't speak to anyone apart from my brother that still uses you know i didn't you know he's my family and i love him so i'd always but he was respectful enough to you know never be in never sort of be in my environment if he was using 
But, you know, outside of that, and then what I did realise is that I didn't really have that many mates. <laughs> and that, and that's, like, that's a really good point. So I think that is when you take alcohol and drugs away, you quickly realise who your actual friends are. Yeah, very little. I think of all my friends, I had two, two left, two that I still speak to today. I mean, I, every now and again, you know, I might go for lunch with one or two of the other lads that I used to hang around with that still regularly get on it. But what you realise is that they don't care about spending time with you if you're sober. They will not spend time with you if you're sober because they want to get on it. And that's more important to them than your friendship. And like that's that's how I feel felt anyway. And you know, is that they would not sacrifice getting on it in order to spend time with you. And yeah. so for for me personally, like I've had a headache for so just over two and a half years clean. I still have a headache over the guys that I used to be friends with that was only centered around alcohol and drugs. Whenever we got together, it was only alcohol and drugs. So now I still feel uncomfortable being around them. So I've sort of just said, look, I'm really sorry. This is where my headspace is. Um, I need to still look after myself. And that sounds crazy saying it after two and a half years. But when you've got 10 years of using with everyone, you can't just undo that. <laughs> no, there's so many things that you can tie that same sentence to, like, like 30 years of behaving in a certain way, for example, you know, like the obsessiveness in relationships for myself, like, I'm working through therapy at the moment and I've just had to sort of try and let go of that, that behavior. And, you know, I'm seeing someone at the moment and sort of explaining how insecure I am because of, you know, everything that I've been through in my life. And, you know, and it's, and it's, she's like, well, obviously, well, how, why do you feel that way about me? And I'm like, listen, it's not about you. I said, this is 30 years of behaving in a certain way that I've got to undo. And it's, it's not going to happen just like that. I've known you for five minutes, <laughs> you know, I, like, and, and that's the, and you can relate that to everything in recovery as well. Like when you've got, you know, a month clean, you've got a month's worth of clean new behaviors you're trying to learn versus 29 years of, of behaving. Well, I say addiction, 10, 11 years, you know, versus a month, you know, it's going to be challenging. All of your old behaviors and your old coping mechanisms are always going to try and, and flip back in. But that's why for me, it was so important that I did the NA stuff as well, because when I got out of treatment, you know, not only doing the therapy, I know, and I can, t I still do therapy, you know, 16, 17 months in, I still do therapy every week. And, um, but the NA stuff, it was good because you've got someone there always, you know, you've always, especially when you've got a sponsor, of course. And that's obviously the, the best thing that, I, that for me, I wouldn't have got clean without my sponsor. I don't think I don't want to, I wouldn't have stayed clean. Yeah. You know, Cause he, there was points where I was calling him five or six times a day, you know, because I was just like, struggling with the way I felt you know it, it is for me I think most people use on feelings you know it's on feelings of pain or embarrassment shame disappointment you know, I'm not I'm, most of all one thing I found in every single addict that is a common denominator that I can't say about anything else I'm not I'm not because everybody's got you know things that are similar but not everyone but everyone for me has had one thing and it's lack of self-worth you know they don't feel good enough they don't feel worthy of love or worthy of friendships and there's not one addict that so far in my life that i've met that hasn't had that you know some there's some link between worthlessness and addiction in my opinion that when i get to a place where all this social media stuff i hope takes off further it's like something i want to explore i want to understand that more because i don't know about yourself is that does that ring true for you yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I, I, and I, I agree, to be honest. Um, it's that bond that you then have with the gear 
that is where you find your self-worth and that's where the psychological side of things is that unattaching um, but like you said I think you're similar to me in that we both reached the point where we lost pretty much everything and mm. the pain of doing another gram of coke or another session was not as painful as it was to completely turn our lives around that's that's how bad it gets. <laughs> yeah, that's it I think it's funny because I admire these people who have not got to the place where they've lost so much and then they've got clean. I'm like, Oh my God, I wish I did that. You know, like when just before I lost my business, you know, I had an opportunity to get clean. Like my business partner said to me, if you carry on this way, you can't, you're not going to be able to stay here anymore. I'm going to give you another chance. Do you know what I I could have done it then. I could have got clean then, but like, unfortunately, like the majority of addicts that I know, we have to lose everything. We have to have so much pain in order to somehow find strength to move on you know and that's uh it's crazy oh it is it's crazy you know because there's friends of mine that i know are sort of heading down that road and like one one lad particularly i try and speak to him and i'm like listen you are exactly like me and he's just he's just gone and started his own business as well and i'm so scared for him because he's got all the talent in the world but his addiction is is going to eat him alive and i'm i keep saying i brought him to the meetings and he's like nah f this i don't want to do that like i'm just like oh, please. Uh, but it's, it's, it's funny isn't it because you just said your business partner said something to you and you ignored him oh, and it's absolutely. exactly the same thing isn't it <laughs> yeah it is and that's what i mean when you when you're there when you haven't had that pain it doesn't mean enough to you to get clean because you know i'm like and for certainly for him at the moment you know he lives with his mum and slash missus he's not really got that much to worry about like he's got no responsibilities and it hasn't cost him anything yet it's cost him a couple of jobs actually but he still did well and earned money but essentially i let him go from him my working with me because he was using all the time and i couldn't you know i just couldn't carry it on he had so many chances and i said and i hope that that was the wake-up call for him but it's not he's got to lose more yeah it's, it's really difficult isn't it because i think even with some clients i i they're at a level where the addiction is so strong that all you can do is just not necessarily tell them what to do because if you were like me someone telling you what to do you go the other way um, <laughs> but by doing things like you do with your instagram and you've got a tiktok account as well haven't you yeah that's where the majority of my social media stuff is yeah. uh, okay so. like tiktok for me i don't have a clue i'm 34 years old like i shouldn't even be on instagram let alone tiktok um yeah. <laughs> but it's it's really good just getting the message out there because it might be they listen to this podcast and then they suddenly think, oh, hang on, there's similar patterns of behaviour and it's the patterns of behaviour that people need to pick up on. Absolutely. I think for me, I, you know, I've only had TikTok since April and um, I'm coming up to 60,000 followers on there now. And some of the videos I've done, like I splat, one of them is called The Evolution of Addiction. And I explained how, like everything we've just discussed, you know, the level of using, like how it started and how it progressed, you know, in 60 seconds, very quickly, like explained it. And that video has got nearly a million views now. And I think uh, that's the one that I, uh, I watched, funnily enough, that was put onto yeah. someone else's story. Oh, no, that's the one I just, I think that's the one I just posted. That was, um, that was more like quantity of drugs that I was using. Uh, this was, like this was more the progression of the substances I used. Um, so obviously started on weeds, then obviously then drink, and then then cocaine, and blah blah blah, and I just explained how I became addicted. And um, but yeah, it's, it's a little bit similar to that one. But that video, and then I look at um, 
comments and the best thing about it is there's young people on there there's these young lads and there's people tagging their friends going this is us like that because they're in they're in part of it they're not at the end where i was where it became horrible yeah. they're at the beginning and they can see that they're using every weekend and i'm going oh my god i don't want to end up there i can see where he went they're like well, we've got the people going we've got to stop this but i'm just like thank god oh like, wow good oh, incredible there's yeah over a thousand comments on that video it was um and then and then there's like people getting in discussions with each other, like tagging their friends and going, Oh my god, this is so and so, we need to help him. It's just uh, yeah, like I couldn't ask for more from I didn't the social media stuff, I honestly I, I got TikTok because lockdown happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had literally no um I had no intention of uh, at this point in my life doing any sort of social media with it all. Um but I knew I could communicate and I, I do like public speaking and I, you know, I've been in sales my entire career, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm adept in being able to communicate with people and obviously being in recovery, I've got an understanding and can be compassionate and patient with people when, when trying to help others. But, um, I never had no idea it was going to go as mad as it did. I think, you know, the third video I did was just, you know, me putting up my key rings in, into some emotional music. And the final one was the year. And obviously I just had like a massive grin. It was just as I got my year key ring as well. And um, that video just took off. And then I just, and then I just like sort of carried it on from there, carried on doing more videos, sharing my life story, sharing my journey. And then the videos just went more and more and more. And I just, and then, then what I did, I like linked my Instagram to it. And then I, I invited people to ask me for help. Bloody hell, that was a, <laughs> it was a good and a bad idea at the same time. Oh, because, really? Yeah. Like even now, I think at the minute, <laughs> I've probably got, I've got 30 requests <laughs> for oh, people wow. asking. You know, that's just since yesterday. Um, and like, I try to go through them as much as I can to help others, but obviously it can be quite consuming. And um, some people aren't ready to get help. They just, and some people just want to vent to you and just like, listen, I'm not your agony aunt. If you want help and advice and guidance, I'm here. And I, you know, you kind of just end up repeating the same things because every, the most most people on there, what they want is either help for themselves, and the ones that really get me are the ones they want to help someone they love. You know, it's they want to help their husband, or they want to help their exes. Their exes, even that's another big one, like because they've got kids with these people and they're addicts and they've broken up because of the addiction. How do I help him? How do I help her? Um, you know, and it's it's so so sad to see how many people have no outlet for how to support themselves, or they have no idea how to help their loved ones what they should do they have nowhere to go for help or support or at least they don't know or they're not aware of what avenues to pursue to try and help themselves or help others um, that they love and care about you know and i've had people talk to me about like this one woman said on one of my comments last night that her a month ago her 15 year old daughter committed suicide after you know a massive a spout of addiction since she was 13 and i was just it's just so harrowing. It's just like, um, there's some things, obviously there's nothing I can say that's going to have to help her. But, you know, she was just saying, thank you for putting this message out there for young people to see. Um, but it is, uh, it's challenging. And the idea for me to move forward is just to set up some sort of charity where I can, so I can manage it a little bit more efficiently to help these people. Yeah. Um, and possibly much, much later down the line, do a documentary where I actually go and help these people like, even financially getting them into rehab. Um, I'm going to do a charity funded rehab through TikTok as well. Oh, nice. uh, yeah. So these are some of the plans that I have, but yeah, to talk more about what's happened in the last year of being clean, you know, I've, I've built up another business again. You know, I sold, I sold the last one that I, you know, when I came out of rehab, I went, worked there for a year or so and 
just wasn't for me anymore but I gave them you know a, a really good year and then um, I left about five or six months ago and I started up another business two or three months ago and it's it's all taken off um, as well just as well as I'd hoped. So, uh, how much easier is it doing it sober? Oh uh, do you know what I work half as hard and, and earn twice as much. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy isn't it like when you have the comparison of how hard you can work and when it's something you're good at as well that you then had that past where you were going into work with no sleep uh, and just being a mess. Makes me shudder. Makes me shudder thinking of those days. You know, when you're just dragging yourself in after three minutes sleep. <laughs> it's when it's when you finally hit hit your pillow and you're like, ah, oh, and then the alarm goes off and you're like, oh my god, I'm living this nightmare again. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, it's um. Oh, this is that was the thing for me. Like I was so rubbish at going to work because <laughs> I was just like. I didn't care because I, I, I kind of knew my strengths in terms of business and I didn't care that I didn't go in because I knew they wouldn't ever sack me because I was earning them too much money. So I kind of was getting away with it a lot. But the days when I did drag myself in, it was just horrific. I hated it. And I, I never, ever used in the office environment because I just I couldn't think of anything worse. Honestly, I would literally. Yeah, that was the same that. as me, actually. Yeah, I hated it because I would towards sort of the i don't know in my mid 20s if i just used if i just used cocaine without alcohol it was horrible you know i just literally felt paranoid and on edge like people were looking at me people knew i was on drugs i certainly didn't want to pick up the phone and call people <laughs> that was never happening two beers three beers very different story but yeah so i always had to try and get the balance right and that that was why like my going out sort of declined towards you know my mid to la- uh, mid to late 20s because I would end up like doing just a little bit of gear at the beginning of the night. I'd probably just do, you know, one little pump at the beginning, get massively drunk. And then I'd go home because I wanted to do the rest of the gear on my own at home. And, then, and, 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 that, and that's the point, I guess, from when I went to CA and NA as well, that you realise you're not the only one that does that. And I had a, a using friend back in the day as well, where we had very similar things, like we would just not go out and we'd both mm-hmm. just be at home doing three or four grams of coke. Sun sesh at home is just sad, isn't it? It's so sad. But it's it's where it's I don't know why, but it's just where the addiction takes you when you're at yeah. your worst, I think, because that's a similar story to a lot of people. Wants you to be alone, doesn't it? It's kind of you end up I end up not wanting to do it around people unless it was someone who's prepared to get as weird as I was on gear. But so that was the only type of people I had invited around my house, you know, the ones that didn't mind my weirdness. So. <laughs> Because I would, you know, like we tiptoeing around the house, you know, trying to be as quiet as possible. TV on volume one. Oh, uh, that was exactly <laughs> me and my old mate as well. <laughs> you know, and you just think you can hear everyone like, shh, someone's outside, someone's outside. It's just, oh, just it terrifies me thinking about it. Like, the, you know, as as being clean now, you know, coming up to eighteen months, you know, I I can honestly say I don't ever want to do drugs for the rest of my life. I, and I don't miss it because towards the end there was there was no enjoyment in using, absolutely none. I hated it. You know, I I was obsessed with it. I did it, although it, it was destroying my life, and I was it was in control of me, and I hated that. I hated, I resented it, although because I couldn't stop, even though it was so horrible, such a horrible experience being on it, and also what it was costing me by being on it. But yeah, I still couldn't stop that powerlessness feeling was just horrible, absolutely horrible. So, um, but I will always miss a drink, I think. You know, I'd love to be able to have a social drink and just 
but I know I could never ever do that. You know, I'd never in my life have I just had two beers and gone home. <laughs> this, this, this is the thing I say to people, right? So I had 17 years of experience. Not once in 17 years did I ever drive, or did I ever have two? I just got shit faced, and then I found drugs sort of midway through, and then I thought I had control of everything because I could remember. Yeah, well, um, this, that's that's the that's the where the the coke becomes more of an asset when you know early. Uh, sort of late teens because you can't manage your alcohol that well at that age can you and you want to keep up with everyone else suddenly you've got a bit of packet in your pocket and then it's like i can go all night now i don't get too drunk while i'm on this and that was for me while, while i loved it you know i liked liked being able to stay out till four in the morning chatting and just like doing little bits and that's where it's sort of the enjoyment part of it came because i could keep drinking as much as i want and wouldn't act like an idiot because when i got drunk i was a nightmare <laughs> yeah same same here <laughs> absolute disaster you know i just oh i don't even want to share how bad my behavior was when i was drunk you know i'm not the biggest of guys but i'd start fights with the most horrendously like maniac people like, that just look like trouble and i'm like poking them with a stick trying to start them. <laughs> it's, it's it's an important point though because i think personally i think alcohol's the issue because you don't oh, find people cool. that just do coke like they drink and then they get into coke so actually alcohol now that i'm sort of two and a bit years clean i've realized how big alcohol is for most addictions oh for me it's the worst of all i think like as much as i say i miss having a drink you know that's just because i miss the social aspect i don't miss the feeling of being drunk but for me, yeah, it all started with drink, you know, before, you know, I suppose weed, I guess you could say, is kind of that, what's it called, a gateway drug, like they say. But, you know, in this country, the culture around alcohol is, is so huge. You know, it's part of, you know, like, for example, when you're 18, your dad's, well, not my dad, of course, but, but your dad takes you for your first beer. Do you know what I mean? It's a bonding thing. You know, it's, it's encouraged and incentivized, you know, everything, like, Christmas parties, you know, any work-related thing, celebrate some like um, Poets' Day in London on Friday, you know, piss off early tomorrow's Friday, whatever. You know, it's um, it's uh, it's just part of our culture, and it's um, for me, it ruins a lot of people's lives because I think you become so dependent on um, on drinking to for a full sense of confidence. You know, for example, like when people go out on a Friday. You know, go, for go, just example, going to chat up a bird, you know, going to chat up a girl. So many lads won't have the confidence to do that sober, but you give them a couple of drinks, then they'll go and do it. Yeah. But we're, it, it hinders everybody from just growing naturally, you know, because then they'll never, ever be able to do it without that. You know, they'll never, and there's so many functions on a weekend or confidence folks, dancing, for example, you know. <laughs> oh no don't get me started on drunk dancing that's <laughs> what i mean like and um and, in, and the only reason i sort of discovered how dependent on it i was was because i've always been extremely confident in business and i thought i was confident with women because i was just confident regardless but on the first nights i went out sober i realized i was actually incredibly shy um, but over time, and also I definitely didn't want to dance, but I love to dance, you know, like I've danced since I was a kid, like I've just, I've always loved it. And, you know, watched Michael Jackson from, from the age of about six onwards. So, you know, it was always a passion of mine. And whenever I was drunk, I wouldn't care about doing and dancing to the best of my ability. 
um, in front of people. And, and to, in my mind, I'm definitely, I'm all right at dancing. I'm not that bad, you know. But when I was sober, uh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I had no confidence to do it. I could dance in here, you know, I could dance with my son messing about. But when it comes to public display, absolutely not. I didn't want to do it, you know. And it took me about the seventh or eighth time of being out in that environment sober before I finally got the courage to go and do it. But I did. So now, like, if I go, I'll dance. So if I want to go and chat up for a girl, I can do it. I can do it all sober. Anything that I did when I was drinking is possible sober. You know, and that's the thing, all. isn't it? It's, it's actually character building to go through all these situations um, sober. And like you said, the dating, like for me, I always used to drink because it was confidence related. Like I was overweight when I was drinking and drugging. Um, and then suddenly when I stopped, and you sort of just say, whatever happens in the date, that fear is gone because I'm happy with who I am. And mm. that's it. Like you just go to them. Like some of them are funny as hell. I've got some strange stories from some of them, but that's just the nature of dating. Like there's no fear of being rejected. Like, no. and these are things you just come in other life instances as well. That sobriety gives you because you've got no, you've got nothing you can patch, patch your confidence up with or look to as a distraction. I call it a blanket safety blanket, you know, and that's what alcohol is a massive thing for people. It's a safety blanket. Cause I can kind of be a little bit, like looser in myself you know I have this little bit of protection around me to make me feel a bit more confident or you know whatever it is it gives people just that little bit of extra um ease or peace of mind that they can go and do whatever they want but the thing is we can all learn that naturally everyone you know it's it's it may be more challenging for some people um who suffer with insecurity for sure but what better way to learn how to, you know, lose that insecurity, you know, is, is to naturally go through the process of feeling uncomfortable. And, and that's and exactly it, isn't it? Exactly. You know, going through that process and, and learning that actually people will just like me for who I am. I don't have to be drunk, you know, and that's the other problem that comes with it is that people then go, people won't like me without a drink. You know, people won't like me. I won't be at it. I won't be sociable. People won't find me as funny. You know, people won't find me as attractive because all of that comes when they've had that drink and then they, then when it's removed they only they can only relate to a situation where they've achieved what they wanted to achieve in those scenarios but they've had drink you know so then they think well i can't do it without it i'm gonna have to have a beer first even if it's not to an addictive level but it's certainly it's certainly hindering on personal growth in my opinion you know it's, it's a hindrance on on personal growth and development um yeah and i didn't realize how much you know certainly because obviously <laughs> In my mind, I was really confident. You know, I was reassured that I was a confident person. But suddenly, take the alcohol out of the situation, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> and I've had to really work at it and really try really hard. And granted, I don't go out for too long when I go out these days. You know, I only probably spend maximum three or four hours out on a night out. If and that's only maybe once every few months. But um, it was certainly really uncomfortable at the beginning dancing for sure. Oh God, that was. So have you ever tried dancing sober? <laughs> no, you know what? Like, I, I generally never really liked it that much anyway. And I'm 34, so I sort of was coming out of that age range where I'd be going to festivals and stuff anyway. And if I was yeah. off my tits on Mandy, I could dance all day long. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I even went to a rave at about five or six months thing. And um, for me, you know, that was, I loved it. It was great. I thought it was brilliant because everybody was so mashed there. I didn't care about dancing. You know, that was one of the first nights out I had. And I was like, 
yeah, this is good because everyone's off their nut and they haven't, they're not going to be looking at me or they don't know that I'm not high. So I was kind of like, it was the first place where I actually felt a bit comfortable doing whatever I wanted to do. And then you can kind of just apply the same principle in any place you go because everyone's drunk anyway. No one's, no one, no one's looking at you. <laughs> like, no one cares. That's the thing, isn't it? It's just getting that sort of comparison thing out of your head. But it's also people go to music festivals when they're sober and they just say it's a completely new experience because it's the vibe of that group and the music that is pumping them with natural adrenaline rather than forced adrenaline, as it were. The beautiful thing as well is that you remember everything. You know, you've, you've got all these beautiful memories from great fun nights out and, you know, you remember all the people you meet, you remember the names of the people that you meet even. Also, you remember the stupid things that people do drunk in front of you. And some people hate that as well because they're like, oh, my God, I don't want him here because he's going to remember everything tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, like it's... It's such a, a beautiful life that, yes, it comes with huge challenges being sober and, and clean. But um, I can honestly say I've never been as, as happy as I am today um, than I have been in my entire life. And, and it's not due to anything outwardly, to be honest with you. It's more to do with the way I feel about myself. You know, I can finally say I'm, um, I'm an honest person. And I'm every, you know, that guy who walked that mate to school, uh, to his house on his crutches that's the guy I want I wanted to be. And I'm, I'm able to be that guy today consistently without letting people down. And I'm honest, I can be integral, I have morals and, you know, I'm consistent and I'm available and I'm emotionally available. So, you know, these are all things that I've always wanted to be. And as a result, you know, I've got amazing friends that love and care about me that I share the most profound connections with certainly the ones in recovery. I find, you know, lots got mates that I speak to every day and, you know, I never, I always really wanted that. I really, really wanted that. And I could get it momentarily, but I could never sustain it because I was just so messed up, you know, and I'd always be let people down, never turn up to things. Or like I said before, with the horrible behaviors of trying to get with people's girlfriends and stuff like that. I just, I could never keep, you know, my friends, because they'd see me as this Jacqueline Hyde character. I'm like, how are you so nice? And then suddenly you've just done that. Why would you do that? Like, so, um, yeah, incredibly grateful today, obviously, to, to be where I'm at. And I'm, I'm, there's so much more that, you know, I feel like I can achieve outwardly in terms of, like, the social media stuff. I love to help other people. You know, I'm a sponsor as well in NA. And little lad that I work with, he's, um, he's coming up to his year clean now as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he's, he's doing really well. He came around the other night and did his step one. And so, yeah, it's... Um, it's, it's, it's a very, very different life, you know, and it, but it's, it's one that I'm incredibly grateful for. And it's certainly more than I ever expected it to be. Because I think everybody has this um, stereotypical view of if you don't drink, you're boring. You know, you, or your life's boring, don't they? Yeah, it's funny. Like I always say, bef two months before I gave up, I said, never trust someone that doesn't drink. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's what I mean. I think everybody who does drink, they look at people who don't drink as, um, oh, yeah, they're going to be boring. I don't bring them along and blah, blah, blah. But if, you're, um, if you enjoy those environments, you know, that's, that's the thing I like to say is that if you enjoy those environments and you don't want to let go of that, that, you know, that culture as such, you don't really have to. You know, you don't have to, because I know I haven't. Don't I don't do it anywhere near as much. But that's because I don't want it. <laughs> but I can, I can go and do it anywhere. I think that everybody's got this misconception that once you have um, let go of the drink and the drugs, you've got handcuffs tying you away from that lifestyle, anything that you ever did whilst doing those things, and or whilst using or whilst drinking. And 
it's not true. You know, I went to Miami. I went to festivals in Miami on my own. <laughs> uh, like I was having a, like, the most amazing time. Went to like pool parties and nightclubs, and you know, I did that, and that was totally. Literally, I went to went there in January, and I was um, not even a year clean at that point. You know, and I can um, I can honestly say I didn't miss drink one bit. I had the best time. It was great. It was brilliant connecting with people. Met that Alexandra from Love Island, the bird from that a couple of years oh, ago. Nice. <laughs> yeah, met her on the plane over. I ended up going and um, going for dinner with her. Like all these just mad experiences. You know, I never thought I'd ever dream of being able to do when I was sober. Like I didn't think I'd ever have the confidence, especially even go and speak to someone like that. I was, you know, it was, um, so yeah. It is. I think it's important that everyone knows that life can just be equally as incredible and actually much more incredible once you're sober and you can consciously decide where your life goes as well i think when you're using for so long you just sort of get dragged along without really knowing what it is you want you're a bit of a sheep aren't you you know you kind of just go with the crowd you've not really got any sort of uh, distinguishing features of your own you're kind of the same as everyone you're with you know and it's like yeah we all like to we might go out for a couple of hours and then mostly stay in the same town as well like don't really ever venture out eventually like towards the end you might go on your holiday to Ibiza and get off your nut and pills but outside of that your life's not really that exciting and you know the only stories you've got to come away with are pissed up stories about you know what idiots we made of ourselves and stuff like that as opposed to you know, the amazing like cultural things that you might be able to go and see and witness and experience in going and visit somewhere like Thailand, for example. Now, like I went there when I was 18, 19 and the stories I've got there are just boring, as you can imagine, just, you know, strippers. And, and you know, I met a girl there that I actually went out with, but it was just getting drunk and getting smashed and just misbehaving. That's it. Didn't didn't go and see like any of the beautiful, amazing jungles. Like, <laughs> didn't go on any like amazing cultural views or anything like that. Didn't go to any Buddhist temples or anything. Amazing. Literally, didn't go and see anything. Just literally, I could have it's, done the same thing. It's, it's funny, Thailand. So Thailand is a beautiful place if you actually go and explore it. But it's the, one of the first places you go if you're a bit lost, especially in the UK. But it seems like a lot of other countries use Thailand as, I'm lost. So what I'll do is I'll go to this country, see if I can then find myself. But in this, everyone else is lost and you just end up doing exactly the same thing that you would have yeah. done in London. And then people yeah. come back even more lost. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's the other thing about addiction as well. People do the whole, like you say, the geographical thing, trying to, trying to fix themselves by moving out and moving into a different place. But the problem is, is, is it's, not a, it's not an outwards job. There's nothing on the outside that will ever fix you know, what you feel about yourself, which is where your addiction comes from. It's all about, right, actually, let's just turn the camera around and let's have a look in and start focusing on whatever it is that the problem is inside because wherever you go, that problem's coming with you. <laughs> There's nothing you can do about it until you address it. Yeah, and because of the male sobriety spin that we're doing with this, I think it's just difficult for blokes, isn't it? Blokes just to say, look, I've really fucked up here. Like, I've got a massive addiction problem. I'm losing loads of money. Help. Yeah, I think... Yeah, the male, the the issue with the with the whole getting clean and addiction and males for me is that again culturally in this country we're um we're very much steered away from emotional um, expressing emotions. You know, as a as a kid, you know, if I cried, I got hit. You know, I was hit harder because I cried. Don't you fucking cry? Like, and it's kind of like part of the culture in this country that if you're upset as a man, you're not supposed to be. So don't you know? And you're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to be the strong one for your partner, the strong one for your kids, 
you're supposed to carry this weight of the world and never express a single emotion about the way you feel. I certainly feel that's that's how that's how I was brought up, and a lot of other people are the same. And um, it's so wrong. It's so wrong because we're human, you know, just as much as females. Yeah, they may be a little bit more um, open to their emotions than than we are naturally, but to, to completely conceal emotions as a man, I feel is one of the main things that sort of helps us on our way in active addiction. Do you know what I mean? We're, we're in our inability to acknowledge the way we feel and the inability to ex, um, accept the way we feel and then also communicate it and express it to someone who can help. And which, which is where normally in addiction is you use alcohol and drugs to not express so exactly. it's just staying in and it's boiling away and boiling away and boiling away. It doesn't ever disappear. It never goes. It's just buried, you know, and, and obviously I think for me, that was what addiction, where my addiction came in. You know, obviously I carried so much pain from so many years of my life, you know, specifically the you know, sort of naught to 15, you know, a lot of time at home. And I carried that through and I never talked about it, you know, unless I'd done a, um, a little bit, a little bit of gear, then I would, um, you end up talking about it, but there's no emotion connected to anything when you're, you know, when you're in that space, you know, I could reel off about my, my life story and all that whenever I was on it. But that just goes to show that I wanted to talk about it. You know, I, I, it always came up whenever I was high, you know, because people would ask me like what you've been through and blah, blah, blah. And as it gets deep, very deep, then it on, on when you're getting on it sometimes and there's a group of you together and obviously you're desperate to talk about it, but you don't ever really connect with it. You don't really, and you're carrying all this stuff with you and, the only um, the only way to keep it buried down is to, is to keep using because you know and it gets to a point where you have to be using all the time otherwise you know like the few few days before I went to rehab I cried for like twelve hours solid I didn't oh, I could I had to go into the GP to get my letter to refer me to the psychiatrist I was crying my eyes out I couldn't physically stop and I was standing there just tears streaming down my eyes I wasn't actually like sobbing but the tears were just running down this woman was like oh my god are you okay and I was like yeah I'm just here to pick up my letter <laughs> and I like, just literally I couldn't stop you know and all that stuff it's all there it's never gonna it's never going anywhere and that's I think one of the harder things from the male perspective is to um to tap into that space you know tap into that area of ourselves and start to uh, learn how to communicate it, start to learn how to express ourselves, start, and, and also just know that it's okay. It's okay to not be okay as a man, and it's okay if you need to cry because you're in pain, because you're human, and that's, you know, and there's, um, you know, there's something, there's mates of mine, even though I know now, that would just never even cry, you know, <laughs> not addicts, of course, but they would just never, like, it's just, it's not in their, it's not in their repertoire <laughs> for them to actually ever do it, but, you know, I think for me, I, I even after, you know, going up, coming out of treatment, I found it very difficult to connect with the pain that I felt as a kid. And um, even in treatment, I found the first time I cried was because I was so frustrated over the fact that I couldn't cry about what I needed to cry about, if that makes sense. <laughs> I, I, got, cause I got so upset and frustrated with myself because I knew what they wanted me to do. They wanted me to connect with the pain. They wanted me to connect with what happened to me and how it made me feel. And I tried so hard and I couldn't. One tear would come down my face and then I'd be like, Oof, gone. I just might physically, I didn't have the tools to, to allow myself to do it. I'd trained myself as a barrier, as a protection against, you know, the trauma that I'd seen as a, as a child to not feel that way anymore. Because if I did, I've got me hurt even more and I couldn't bear the pain. So as an adult, it was still there, but it wasn't serving me. It served me well as a kid, you know, because it protected me from the pain and the trauma around me. So I needed it then. But 
as an adult, it was causing me a hell of a lot of pain trying to maintain that behavior. And the only thing that allowed me to maintain it was using, you know, so, um, yeah, challenging to, um, to open that part of ourselves up, I think as a man. And just to mention about your son now. So what's the relationship like now that you're sober? Ah, he's, um, it's, it's beautiful. You know, I love that kid more than anything in this world. I see him more than 50% of his life now. He, he loves being here, you know, from him going to from a place of being so broken by, you know, my behavior and he was school were even asking me to come in because they were concerned about how angry and upset he was all the time. And he was mimicking my behavior, you know, um, but to now see him, you know, the last parents evening I went to, they said he's the most kindest, sweetest, loving, and caring little boy they've ever met. He likes to help other students. He puts his arm around them if they're upset. You know, he's um, he's just this little little ball of love energy. You know, I just, I love being around him and our relationship. He's just like my best friend, my best friend in the world. And because he's just like my twin as well, he's exactly like me. There's no, he's literally can tell the difference between me and him at that age. So we were exactly the same and we get on so well. And He's so well behaved and because like, I understand how he feels as well. I can, from an emotional perspective, you know, I can see what, what's going on in his head, how he's ticking over when he's upset and I'm teaching him how to communicate feelings at the age of eight. And that's know. really powerful, isn't it? Because like you said, we're, we're sort of, condi- well, we were in relatively the same generations, but yeah. conditioned not to show emotion. Yeah, exactly that. And don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean I... You know, I don't promote him crying to get what he wants ever. You know, if he tries to get what his own way, I say, listen, take it to the other roommate. I'm not going to, you know, that's <laughs> whatever. No, I don't, I don't ever shout at him. You know, I don't ever have to get angry anymore. Like, I was quite short and snappy before when I was using, because like, I was always tired and I didn't have the patience. You know, but I never, ever have to shout at him ever. I don't even have to raise my voice. You know, I just, you know, I have this wonderful relationship where he understands what I need from him and what I expect of him. And more than anything, he just wants to make me proud. And I love that. You know, he just, he, he adores me. And it's um, it's so beautiful. And I adore him. I just couldn't have, um, couldn't imagine having any other relationship other than the one I have now. But, you know, his behaviour is just so much better. And, you know, I, even teaching him how to communicate the way he feels. Like, for example, he, um, he came in the other week and he was he was upset because someone had sort of knocked him over my little nephew was over and they were out playing with the other kids and he came in he said oh this boy had knocked me over and then Michael my nephew was laughing at me and I was like okay well let's go and find out what happened he was really upset so I went out there turns out he was being a little shit you know he was he was like diving in with tackles a slide tackling him and they and they got a bit more aggressive with him because he was doing it so I was like so and he got really upset when they confronted him and he got caught out with his behavior and he went in and he stormed off and I sat him down I said listen what's um why have you behaved that way? And he was like, because they left me out. I was like, okay, okay. So that makes more sense. He'd, he'd made friends with this other kids and my, my nephew had become closer with this kid than, than Archie. Some, and then they sort of sort of cutting him out. And, and he got so upset and it was like looking in a mirror, his behavior was acting out. I want to act out, I want their attention. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna start doing, you know, all the behaviors that I'm so familiar with. And I just said, so listen, this is what's happened, you know? And I explained it all to him and I said, does that make sense to you? And he's like, yeah. I was like, well, what you did wrong was, you know, you changed your behavior. You, you started acting out to get their attention when all you need to do is just tell them that what they were doing was upsetting you, you know, that they were leaving you out. Can they stop leaving you out, please? You know, just, would you think that would be better? Because now you look like the bad guy if it would have been the other way and you'd have just told them they'd have looked like the bad guy because of what they were doing. He was like, yeah, yeah, totally got it and just broke it all down for him. You know, I could have never done 
anything like that when I was using. Like, I'd have just been like, oh, shut up. Stop crying. Yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, ugh, what's the matter with you now? That would have been my response. You know what I mean? So um, that's the contrast in how I'm comparing him now as well. It's, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. It was a bit of a loaded question. I, I was hoping you'd, you'd go down. It's all positive now, Root. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Obviously, there's never going to be any contrast to, to using versus sober. But, you know, it's, it's not only just the removal of the um, substances. You know, it's also the journey of like discovery that you have to go on yourself. And then in, in that um, like self-discovery, you can then learn a lot of new ways to, to parent, you know, because you understand yourself. Once you understand yourself better, you can certainly learn to understand your kids a little bit better. And what, you know, also when I understand my childhood better and how I felt as a child in the therapy I'm doing, I can sort of then relate that to what's going on for him sometimes. So it's not just about the sober and the removal of the drugs. You know, it, it is a massive investment in yourself, like for me to, um, to continue and stay in recovery, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's it's a good point about the trauma as well because um, a lot of people say that trauma actually travels. So mm. you could look at the fact that your mum is an alcoholic, and then at what point does that stop? And then obviously your childhood trauma could have acted out f- with you and your son if you were still using. But because oh. you've gone through all your therapy, you obviously are so much more aware of everything and how it affects you now that you've mm. now got control of that. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, I don't want him to have to go through all the same things I'm having to go through to reverse everything that happened. You know, I want him to learn it now off the cuff, you know, like right from the start. So you don't have to have the same life I did, you know, break the mold. You know, my mum's mum's an alcoholic, her mum before her alcoholic. You know, it's it goes down in generations on my mum's side. My dad, not so much, but, you know, he was just, um, you know, just a bit of an evil man, unfortunately. But um, so, yeah, I just didn't want to... Um, that's that's what made it enough for me to stop you know like i said to you before like I, when i i hurt him not physically but emotionally so badly and i could see his, how his behavior was and uh, it was like looking into a mirror 20 years ago you know 22 years ago and seeing my my younger self lose that innocence that kindness you know that sweetness and then go into anger and disappointment and upset because he wasn't getting what he needed from me um, and neither from his mum but and now to be able to rectify that and I feel quite fortunate that I've probably caught it just young enough so it hasn't left any sort of impairing and long-term damage for him but there may still be challenges to come in his teens who knows but you know I'll be hopefully well adept to um, to work with him through those things we'll see well it's it's amazing like you've turned your life around you've gone through chaos trauma the lot and it's it's just really good to highlight for male sobriety and female sobriety as well but there is hope and you just have to put the work in like recover like you said recovery is not easy is it and it's just a case of keep doing it keep banging your head against the brick wall in the early days and it does get better yeah i think the early days it's like i said to you before it's, it's just all about ignoring every single thought that comes into your head where you think you're right <laughs> whatever you think you know about getting clean or you know whatever if you disagree with everything that's in front of you don't care just do it you know it's just okay that's that's kind of philosophy that i went by is that i looked at people that were clean they were six months years in six months plus clean they'd done something i'd never been out to achieve before and i just sort of humbly was like i've lost everything i've got nothing else to lose um 
and like, uh, what have I got to lose by trying everything that they're going to throw at me and just being, don't get me wrong. I did, I was a bit of a, like I said, I made sure everybody knew that I did't like where I was. So I didn't want to be in the NA rooms. I didn't want to be part of it. And I disagreed with the literature. You know, even when they said the prayer at the end, I never said the word God. So I still don't actually, <laughs> I still, I still don't say like, but, um, you know, over the time, over time I started to see the, the how the program worked. And for me, anybody like struggling with the literature side of like the program stuff, don't want, I never worried about the literature. It was more the people. It was just like you said, you know, like seeing these people who got clean, just listening to them, knowing that they're there for you is a really important thing because in my experience, there's not really anyone who understands what it's like to be an addict unless you've been one or unless you are one, sorry. And try and explain how it feels to someone who's, who's not and they're just like... You look alien. <laughs> they, they just look at you like... Like even my brother, like before I went to rehab and stuff, he's like, why don't you just stop? I'm like... Oh no, not that! <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I'm just like, are you. Uh, if the, if that was the case, mate, we wouldn't be having this conversation, would we? And you know, it's, and, uh, it's funny. I actually explained to a mate the other day, sort of why I could find it a struggle to be around certain friends. Still, it's the obsession of the mind, where I'm in a restaurant, say with that friend that I used to use with all the time. Now, in my head, when they go to the toilet, I'm thinking they're going to do gear. And it's those thought patterns, even when I go to the gym, like they've got these metal trays on top of the toilet roll holders. And I'm like, who does that? That's obviously <laughs> dodgy, isn't it? And that's just how my mind works now. Yeah, yeah. You can, if you want it, you can associate anything you want with getting on it, like this, this coffee table, for example, <laughs> anything, any flat surface, any card shape or anything that you can roll up, you can associate with it, can't you? But yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, that's the other problem with coke as well. Like, it's so it's so acceptable today. It's so acceptable to use cocaine in a, in a night out. You know, no one. It's not frowned upon anymore by people. You know, heroin and crack massively frowned upon. Ugh, dirty drug, dirty drug. You dirty crackhead. You know, that's the sort of sentence associated with crack and heroin. But cocaine is equally as bad, but so much more socially acceptable. Promoted. You know, that's why I think cocaine's the worst one because then obviously the people who are really broken inside will move on to crack and heroin eventually. Um, that's, that's where it goes. And it's, it's the thing, isn't it? Like when you go to the rooms, you're in there with crack and heroin addicts and you're all there for exactly the same reason. So it doesn't really matter what drug you take. You're, you're all broken. That's it. You know, and I think one thing that I want to expose a lot more when I do more social media stuff and potentially like the documentary that I want to do is... Um, is exposing the types like well it's more sort of um trying to remove the stereotype of what an addict look like looks like to the general public you know because the general public you say addict they think crackhead heroin addict that's what they think of straight away they think yeah. of homeless person you know they think of someone who steals they think of someone who would do go to any lengths necessary but they don't look at you know people like myself i've never stolen anything in my life to use drugs never i never needed to like they don't look at the messages that i get from people talking about that they're going to lose their business, multi-million pound business because of their cocaine addiction. You know, they, these they, people with families, people with wives, you know, children, some even grandchildren, like they're, they're losing their entire lives because of this addiction. And those people you would never ever think would be an addict, you know, because it's not, it's not aware. No one's aware. No one is, unless you're an addict and you're obviously in the space that we are, we know those people exist, but to, you know, your average Joe, like, 
no one would ever expect that. No it's, one it's, it's, it's a stigma and it's a big part of what I'm trying to do with my business is to get into the corporate world and just say, look, the corporate world is completely denying addiction, I think, to a certain extent, because who wants to deal with an addict in the workplace? Mm, no. Um, yeah, so it's just a lot of work to do. But the stuff you're doing with TikTok and Instagram now is amazing. That's exactly why I messaged you straight away, because I was just like, that's exactly the message that I'm trying to share. And it's really brilliant just to have a good, honest conversation about, about it all as well. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, I, see, I looked at your profile and said this couple of videos. I was like, yeah, this guy's on point. I want to, <laughs> I'll have a chat with him. And I, I like to, um, I like carrying the message of recovery, one thing, but there's a lot more that I feel once my social media grows, you know, over 100,000 followers, which, you know, should be within the next six months, then there's a lot more opportunity for me to expand it. Like there's a PR lady that I'm working with at the moment as well. So like media coverage and all that kind of stuff. And essentially like, as sad as it is to say, it's all about really followers, you know, but the more followers I get, the more powerful I can be, you know, with, with the messages that I want to carry and the, and the exposure that they get. Um, so obviously staying in touch with you moving forward as, as things develop, um, I'm sure there'll be lots more things that we can do together. Yeah. Brilliant. And like, like you said, it's, it's different having an ego and being someone that wants followers, but when you're trying to spread a message to help people, I think is an absolutely beautiful way of using social media. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I being me being my self-destructive self, you know, when I first started doing it, I then I was very questioning, what are my motives here? You know, what? <laughs> Same <laughs> what with I, me. You know what I mean? You pick up the stick and you start hitting yourself with it because you think I'm like, because I'm looking at all the comments and like all this kind of stuff, and um, I'm like. What am I doing this for? Am I doing this just because I like I want people to see me? I don't, I want to be famous, or do I actually want to help people? Like, and then I had, and then I just disappeared off TikTok. I like I put the app down because I come so obsessed with it, you know. And I felt like it was leaning more towards this whole fame, an idea of fame. And I was like, got so carried away with it because it blew up so quickly. So I just put it down, and then I didn't pick it back up again for a few weeks until I knew what it is I wanted to do with it, you know. And I knew the purpose behind me doing it, and. Now I can solidly say that obviously it's it's all about carrying a message, creating awareness, and helping others. You know, and that you know, and I have to stay true to that message. And sure, all of my videos won't. That some of them, you know, are like dancing and you know just having a laugh or stupid videos. But that's more to show people that you can have fun in life whilst being clean. You know, it doesn't all have to be doom and gloom and serious. And you know, going every video doesn't have to be like a therapy session or every yeah. day. And, and, and that's why you've got so many followers because when you watch your videos, it's just genuine. Like you can't, the, the authenticity side of things, you can't fake. Yeah, <laughs> and then absolutely. people see all that and it's, it's really good to watch. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm enjoying it at the minute. I'm just, um, I hope it, it continues and obviously I can continue. Like for me, the big thing, like I'll be so happy when I've been able to find one person to go into treatment, you know. That's, that's like a dream of mine. I want to be able to do that like three or four times a year. Cause it's like, that's another real big point that should be like, well, maybe we'll cover it at some other point, but how the NHS helps addicts, you know, it's, I don't know. How, did you go into treatment? You said prior, didn't you? How did you? Yeah. So that? mine was insurance through the finance <laughs> company that I worked for. So I was extremely lucky. Same, exactly the same. And remove that, kindness and luck out of the situation for you and myself where would we be right now you know and 
for so many people, they don't have that luxury. And the, the process, you know, my sister, little sister, you know, she's a heroin and crack addict, still active at the moment, unfortunately. I've done everything to help her. Did get her into one charity funded rehab, which she walked out of and one she paid for. Didn't come out and didn't work either. But um, then the process for her now and also others that I've helped, it's ridiculous. You know, you have to go to this, this um it's one of the here it's called compass and it's it's like a little rehab center kind of thing that you go in like a little community center and in order to get even considered for nhs funding for treatment just just to be considered alone you have to go there six months consistently every single week wow just just to be considered so if you're a heroin and crack addict how are you going to turn up to one appointment every week when you probably don't drive, <laughs> you've got no money, you're struggling with addiction, you've got mental health problems, yet they expect you to go to this place once a week for six months and then we can consider getting you into a treatment. If I could go there six months consistently, then I wouldn't need to go to treatment. <laughs> it's, so, um, it's so underfunded, There's the process in order you know, to, to get help and support through uh, the NHS or through the government is non-existent in my opinion, it's totally non-existent. It's a little bit better for alcoholics because it's so much more vast, but for drug addiction, there is nothing. There is literally nothing that you will get for free. And I say free through the NHS, but you know, I was, for me, I was furious because I've paid probably the closest to close, close to 200 grand in, um, and national insurance in my life, you know, and that yet they wouldn't treat me for my disease. They would not treat me. They will not treat me and they cannot treat me. And, you know, for me, I was just, you know, I was so frustrated by the entire thing. And again, as my social media grows, creating awareness over that and trying to change that in some way is a massive priority for me. Yeah. And, and that's just a really good moral thing to do because it was easy for me because I used to work in HR. So I knew the policies were already in the insurance, but it's really difficult when someone doesn't know about the solutions as well. Like AA is anonymous and that's been one of my bugbears a bit. This is why it's brilliant coming onto social media and talking about stuff because we can hopefully try and break down the sort of conceptions about alcoholics anonymous, cocaine anonymous, narcotics anonymous, because they are brilliant. Like you can go there and you can get clean for free. Yeah. Um, for sure. And there's lots of options, but like you said, if you actually want sort of residential stays and stuff, it's really difficult to get on. Uh, yeah free. i think um na and aa is is um and all, all of the anonymous groups are absolutely brilliant but there are certain people like for myself for example i wouldn't have got clean just by going to them alone you know i couldn't couldn't get out of it i needed to get away from the environment i needed to be in a safe environment i needed to go through all that like all the trauma the thing that was burying me and keeping me in that place i needed to be in a place where i could do all of that and there's going to be other people like me out there, you know, and they ain't got hope in hell to get clean because like me going to those meetings was, um, was a trigger. In fact, you know, it was initially a trigger for me to go into them and hear people talking about using it just maybe you want to use, you know, but I, I guess it does all talk, it does all depend on your state of mind and where you're at mentally and where you're at in your addiction too. You kind of have to be ready for a, for an anonymous um, fellowship. Don't you? I think, because like we've said before, it takes that real, I'm just going to ignore everything that I think about this group and how they're talking and the stupid prayer at the end, you know, like, and that was how you see it at the time. And you're just like, these are a bunch of nutters, but I'm just going to come because they've done something I haven't, you know, but to have that 
state of mind, you have to have gone through a hell of a lot of pain, don't you? That's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's almost, we want to try and help people not get to there. So you want to try and help them before they get to that level of pain, because me, me and you both were chatting about it already, but it's going in there like a sponge. You have to look for the similarities, not the differences. You first go in there and you're like, I'm not like him. But you quickly realise that actually there's bits you can pick out of each one you go to. And then yeah. after three or four, you're just like, this is a really safe place for me mentally to come. Yeah, I think what you understand as well very quickly is that not every meeting is going to be a great meeting. You're going to identify with everyone, you know, and you're not going to always walk away from meeting going, yeah, that guy was great. There's some you walk away going, that was crap. You know, there was nothing in there for me at all today. And like, I didn't have a good, it wasn't a good meeting or just, you know, the mood wasn't great or whatever. But the point is they always, always say, don't they keep coming back, keep coming back. And if you do that, eventually you will hear someone that is you, but they're a year clean. And when you hear that person, then it's like, for me, it's like this fire. And fortunately for me, it was the first meeting I went to when I was in treatment and I refused to go initially. I was like, I'm not going, I'm not fucking going. I don't want to go to these meetings. My therapist was like, listen, you've got to go. And I went to an AA one, hated it. And he's like, and I said, I'm never going to another one. He goes, listen, one more. And if you don't like it, then I won't make you go to any more. I was like, okay, cool, fine. For me, I was thinking I'm only going so I don't have to go again. So, and then I went and then this guy stood up and I heard him speak and I was like, every word that came out of this man's mouth, he was four years clean. And he was me, you know, he was absolutely me. And he was suited up as well. He was in, you know, it was uh, Notting Hill, near Notting Hill. And um, and just, I just connected with him so much. I was just like, this guy's done it in these rooms. And, he, and then I spoke to him after and he said, listen, if you want to stay clean, you won't do it without NA. You know, he goes, you won't do it without a fellowship. You know, there's lots of other stuff you'll need to do too, but this needs to be part of your life. And I listened, you know, I listened. I was like, it suddenly changed my mind just like that. And I was like, well, I'm going to keep going, even though I hate it and I hate the literature. Um, and as I said, I still disagree with some of it, but a lot of it is is, is um, so relevant and helpful. But I just kept going. I kept going and I got a sponsor and I started working the steps. And then the step work, you realise, is all about self-investment, really. You know, it's about changing who you are, you know, letting go of old behaviours. And it takes a lot of work to let go of 29 years of behaviour. So, um, yeah, it was um, hard, but it was so worth it. Absolutely. And it's, it's a good point just to back up on that. Like my first meeting was at the Priory. So on the first day I went to rehab and I related to a girl that was there and she was saying about her cocaine addiction and I related to every single word she said. And then from that point on, I just felt like something had clicked. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was just really really good from that point of view um yeah, so I think it takes takes a while of going doesn't it and i think you just you kind of have to have a bit of blind faith a bit of blind faith to just keep going until something clicks and then yeah. once that something clicks then you can um you can just start actually engaging with the process properly yeah well zach i think we're sort of coming up to i don't know how how long we've been chatting now Oh yeah. So okay, coming up to the over an hour now, and it's one of these subjects like you know when you sort of relate with someone, you can talk about it all day long. <laughs> yeah, of course. Bear in mind, there's listeners that might might yeah. say that after a while, aren't they? <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you very much for coming on, sharing your stories. It's really inspiring to hear as well, and all the things you're doing on social media. So, what what are your social media handles? So yeah, they're both at Zach underscore Clean. 
Um, so that's for TikTok and for uh, Instagram, they're both the same. And then I've got an email address which people email for support and advice, which is ZacharyClean at gmail.com. Oh, nice. I like it. Um, cool. So I'll share that when we put the post out on Instagram. Um, but if anyone needs to get in touch, then please do. And that wraps up another episode of Sober Heroes. So thank you very much, Zach. You're welcome, Sean. Thanks for having me.